How was the, uh, how was the zoo? It was good. Did you find everything? There are a couple things that my other group said that they're, uh, it's kind of tough to find a Nidarian. They kind of have to look kind of hard. Yeah, they said like they couldn't find like two, right? So there's a couple on there that are, you know, depending on what the zoo is doing, might be uh, hard to find or hard to get to or off display or something like that, right? So um, they seem to do a pretty good job of it. Though anybody do the museum? What would you think? How is the museum these days? Good, 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 good. Lovely. Um, in the exam, you'll be happy to know that because I offered that exam on Blackboard, I am now minimally competent in Blackboard, right? Uh, which I was required to do by the 1st of November. So I may keep my job, which is a good, a good thing. A lot right? of <laughs> so, I go to view grades and I just see yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a spate. I'm trying to keep up, right? I'm doing a spate of, uh, a spate of updating of, of lab grades uh, this afternoon, actually. But uh, today or tomorrow, I'll, I'll get around to the exams. Okay, um, and uh, we'll, we'll see how those go. Um, uh, there may have been one or two of you in here who had to send me a frantic email at the, in the middle of the night telling me that they did something straight. Yeah, and got locked out of the exam. We got that worked out, didn't we? I was actually at work by the time I got the other Okay, so do we still need to have a conversation? Yeah. Okay, so we'll have a conversation. We'll have a conversation, right? Um, I had about ten or fifteen. I got about ten or fifteen student emails while I was in Oregon, right? Saying uh, I, I started up the exam and I pressed the backspace button or whatever, right? Um, and it would kill the browser, or if you're if you lost your internet for a fraction of a second, it killed the browser, right? And it locked you out, and you weren't able to complete the exam, right? So I would have to go back in, um, oftentimes in strange hours, because we had a three-hour time difference anyway. Uh, stranger hours for you than for me, as the case may be, um, and reset the exam. Okay, so Blackboard is just absolutely not forgiving at all when it comes to taking those exams, right? So, um, if there was any kind of weirdness like that, uh, and if you had any kind of anxiety because you know that Blackboard is just not forgiving, apologize for that, right? But that's sort of the way that we we, we kind of have to do things. Um, if we don't do it that way, then I say you have uh, five days to answer these questions at your leisure, which is just not so much of a exam as it is uh, an exercise in looking things up in the book, right? So um, if I'm going to put these stringent time limits on it, like you have an hour and a half and all that kind of stuff, um, the least I can do is uh, be a little bit forgiving when it comes to weird technological glitches. So hopefully we're able to come together with some sort of compromising situation. We'll, we'll talk after the exam, right? You're not uh, up the creek or anything like that. We'll talk. We're not, you're not up the creek or anything like that. So. Um, there are still some other students in my other classes who still have yet to take it because of just epic fail of technology on a number of this people's parts, you know, to to, uh, to get this thing going. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, for the amount of money that we give Comcast and things like that, they should yeah. service should be a little more reliable than it is. I, I I suffer with that myself, so I can I feel your pain, and I, I can uh, I can be forgiving and accommodate uh, the technology anyway. Um, I had a couple of students who just didn't take it because they just didn't want to take it, and that's fine too, right? Uh, we all just kind of do what we're going to do, I think. So, uh, when we are any any questions about anything, since we still have a couple of people who need to take it, we're or a variant of it, as I should say, right? Um, we can't actually talk about content yet. Anybody have any last words about what you what what do you, what you think, right? Because we're getting, we're, like I said, I had to get this minimal competency for it. What do you guys think about it? Did you find it an acceptable way to take an exam, or did you just really not like it, or did you really like it? I liked it. Oh. You liked it? Yeah. Did he did it, did it get enough time to answer most of the questions and have time to look in the book for the ones you didn't know? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Anybody press for time? 
I gave you an extra 15 minutes on that. It was 90 minutes instead of an hour and 15, just because I figured it might take a 15 minutes of page flipping and kind of weird uh, relationship with doing this on Blackboard and stuff like that. So was that enough, do you think? This is the first time I ever did it, right? So um, it's a learning experience for me as well. I envision a day when all of the exams in my classes will be given over Blackboard and we'll never have to waste a day in class to, uh, to exam taking. We can do nothing but content all the time and just take all of our exams on Blackboard and that kind of stuff. Ah, uh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. <laughs> Nobody likes to come in and take an exam, right? I mean, and I guess, I don't know, just my, my, my teaching style, I don't know, just uh, take the exam something the next couple of days. You know, um, it's just uh, easier to navigate if you have students come in and do it, but uh, for obvious reasons. But uh, they try to get us to do these Blackboard things over the watch world just in case a major pandemic of something horrible breaks out, right? And I need to demonstrate that I can still administer and teach my class uh, in absentia, right, without actually ever seeing you any longer. Can I turn this into an ELI, extended learning class, uh, on the fly, right? Um, and to be mentally competent says that you should be able to. Right, so um, I can at least give you exams on the fly and with the iTunes presentations and all that kind of stuff, we should be in pretty good shape. So no worries about the global pandemic, which is about to ravage all of us, okay? Uh, biology will go on. Yes? And in that spirit, biology will go on, right? Um, when we were last here talking about things, we were kind of talking about anaerobic respiration a little bit, right? And there's a few, uh, I wanna, since it's been a while, I wanna remind us of where we were Try to put this lecture back together in some sort of normal context. Um, uh, one more thing about uh, evaluations, I just want to tell you so I don't forget and, and to remind you, Wednesday is going to be a very good day to be here. Um, as I've been evaluating you all semester long, on Wednesday you will get to evaluate me, okay? Um, you'll get your, uh, I've been doing it all semester, I'll give you five minutes to evaluate me, right? That sound about fair? That sounds good to me. So uh, we'll do that on Wednesday. So if you want to speak to my uh, abilities or lack thereof, honestly, feel free to take part in that. All right, we were talking about anaerobic respiration, but we were talking about it in the context of something much larger. We were talking about it in the context of respiration in general and how you actually make a living, okay? How do you actually get the ATP that you use to fuel all of these reactions that you have, right? You have all of these reactions going on in your body, all of them that require energy, right? All these endergonic reactions require some sort of fuel source for just about all of them, not quite all of them, okay? But just about all of them that you have going on in your body, they use ATP as that source of fuel, okay? So the question then is, where and how do you get that ATP, okay? And you actually get that ATP from a couple of different places, okay? Um, but they're all kind of related to this concept of respiration. Um, the rest of it is sort of details, right? There's aerobic respiration versus anaerobic respiration, okay, for example. Uh, and we'll talk about both of those uh, in turn. Uh, if you recall from when we were talking last time, we can take these molecules that have a lot of energy in them, okay, like molecular hydrogen and things like that, and we can get that energy out by combining it with something like oxygen, okay? And what we get... Um, the product of that reaction has less energy than the reactants, okay? When we make this reaction happen, we get this big kaboom, okay? Um, the amount of energy difference between these things up here, the reactants and the product, is the same as the amount of energy that comes out in the explosion, right? So as you go down this way in this reaction right here, we're not losing energy anywhere, right? We're just converting it from one form into another. 
start with a lot of energy right here. We start out, we end up with the same amount of energy right here. Some of it is now captured in this water molecule, but most of it has probably blown off into space as this heat, right? But we're not making energy, we're not destroying it. All we're doing is shuffling it around in this uncontrolled way, okay? This is how we send rockets into space and things like that, uncontrolled reactions. Specific reactions, but the rate is uncontrolled, okay? Or we can have the same reaction going on, uh, but doing it differently, doing it in a controlled way, okay? Um, to control these reactions, we use enzymes, okay? So this last conversation we were having about enzymes and how they work fit right into this as enzymes, okay? These molecules in our bodies made of amino acid chains that are making reactions happen faster, right, are driving and limiting the rate that this energy is being pulled out of this very same molecule up here that is containing all of this energy, all right? So um, instead of just combining it willy-nilly, so to speak, and letting the engine energy kind of blow off where it does, we're going to gradually deconstruct the molecule, okay? Pull the electrons out, because that's where the energy is in those covalent bonds, right? That's where the energy is. Um, gradually pull the energy out of the electrons and make them do work for us. In this case, uh, make as much ATP as possible. So if we gradually pull that energy out, we can make it do more controlled work for us, capturing as much of that energy as we can and making ATP out of it. We're left with two hydrogen ions that we started with, two electrons that now have low energy, um, and uh, some oxygen floating around out here in space, just like we had over there. We can put all of that back together again and end up with water molecule, the same thing we ended up with over here. So just like in this case, the amount of energy in here is the same as the amount of energy down here plus the energy of the explosion, right? The amount of energy up here is the same as the amount of energy down here plus the energy that we pulled out and did work with as we rolled the electrons down the staircase, okay? So we're not destroying energy anywhere, we're just converting it from one form into another, right? It's the exact same reaction with the exact same energetics associated with it, which is two different ways of doing it. This one being enzyme-mediated and this one not just driven through chemistry and physics. All right, so this is what we're going to be talking about today, okay? How do you actually take these high-energy molecules apart and gradually pull the energy out of them with the goal of making as much ATP as you can, okay? That's the premise of today's lecture. Freddie, speak. Yeah, I'm catching us up. Stay tuned. All right, uh, so the beast uh, that we're talking about in question here is the <laughs> mitochondria. Okay, it's been a week and a half, ready? No, uh, raise your hand and say we already did that. Ay, ay, ay. All right, so this is the beast in question, right? Your mitochondria. This is not where all of respiration happens, right? This is where most of your respiration happens. If you're undergoing aerobic respiration, you are using your mitochondria to do so, okay? This is the organelle that requires the oxygen, okay? When you're breathing oxygen in, and as Megan is doing, consuming enormous amounts of glucose, right? Uh, those products are going directly right into the cells. A lot of it, a lot of the byproducts of that initial glucose breakdown and a lot of that oxygen she's breathing in, she is giving to the mitochondria. The mitochondria does a very good job of rolling electrons down these staircases and getting a lot of ATP out of it. You can get some ATP out of breaking glucose apart yourself and having that be the only thing that you're doing, but not very many at all, okay? So we can take this whole process of aerobic respiration as you use your mitochondria to achieve um, and break it into two different components. And then one of those components we can break into two additional components, right? So we can first subdivide into the parts of 
uh, aerobic respiration that occur in your cytoplasm, okay? And that component we refer to as glycolysis. Glyco sounds like glucose, sugary, stuff like that. Lysis, splitting, breaking apart, absolutely, absolutely. So glycolysis, I mean, the name says what it does, right? Um, it's glucose splitting, all right? And that's all you do. Um, you take a molecule of glucose right here, you split it, okay? And in the process, you actually end up making a couple of ATP, okay? This is not roll the electron down the staircase ATP making. This is just some energy comes out of that initial breaking in half of that glucose molecule, and you're actually able to capture some of it and make ATP out of it, okay? Uh, you can make four ATP out of that, okay? Um, you have a net gain, however, of two. You had to add two ATP to the glucose molecule in order to get that reaction started. For the same reason, like I was saying before, um, that trees are not bursting into flames outside uh, spontaneously. The energy activation barrier, remember that? Yeah, so in order for this glucose molecule to start coming apart, Right, you have to add enough energy to get to those intermediate stages of that, right, which are higher energy than glucose molecule to begin with. You have to add energy to that glucose molecule before it will destabilize and start coming apart. Okay. Once you do that, right, once it starts coming apart, then you can really start getting some energy back out of it. Okay. Um, you can get four ATP out of it. You spent two, you get four out, so you have a net gain of two ATP just from glycolysis alone. We didn't use any oxygen here. Okay, all we did was take this glucose molecule, break it in half, and got some energy out. Uh, and then we're going to go after that. Uh, we make two pyruvates out of that. We take the glucose molecule and we convert it into two pyruvate molecules. Then we can send these pyruvates down here to the mitochondria. Okay, now your mitochondria can further break those pyruvate molecules apart. Okay, take those electrons out of, that, of those pyruvates. Uh, roll them down a staircase where it can make a lot of uh, a lot of ATP out of it, and then use oxygen as an ultimate uh, acceptor of those now low energy electrons. Okay, so all the part where you get the big ATP payoff, where you really use the oxygen, is down is down here in the mitochondria. And this mitochondrial process is a two stage process. The Krebs cycle, named after Dr. Krebs, who's the person who uh, described this. It's also oftentimes referred to as a citric acid cycle as well. The first chemical intermediate here is citrate, okay, or, cit or citric acid. We usually just call it the Krebs cycle. Um, and that's where you lose the carbon dioxide. So this is a six-carbon molecule, right? This is a six-carbon molecule. One, two, three, four, five. This is a six-carbon molecule, right? So six carbon go in, six carbon come out, right? So that CO2 that you're breathing out... Okay, right? For every molecule of glucose that Megan is consuming, right, she's blowing out six molecules of carbon dioxide, right? Um, you produce two of them right here. You produce four of them up here in the Krebs cycle. After you go through the Krebs cycle right here, that glucose molecule is completely deconstructed, okay? There's nothing left of it. All the high-energy electrons have been extracted from it and are captured uh, to be sent down to that staircase, right? So once you get past the Krebs cycle, there's nothing left of this glucose molecule, right? It's completely gone, completely gone. Uh, what you do end up making, and you do some of this in glycolysis as well and in the Krebs cycle, you make a lot of these things over here, NADH and FADH2, okay? Um, NADH and FADH2 are really, if you want to think about them in kind of a functional way, 
you can really think of them as uh, little buckets or pails or pitchers or something like that. Little buckets with a handle on it that you can use to carry around really high energy electrons. Okay. Um, of course, you can't just carry an electron around. Uh, you have to carry it in a covalent bond. Okay. So you'll take these really high energy electrons that you get from breaking these pyruvates apart. You'll capture them in this electron bucket, NAD and FAD. Okay, and you'll then carry, transport those electrons down here to this last third stage, the electron transfer phosphorylation, or the electron transfer chain, as I usually just call it. Um, and then you can pull the energy out of those electrons after you drop them off, ultimately combining it with oxygen and some hydrogen to make water and a lot of ATP. Okay, so there's the part of the reactions that are outside of the mitochondria and the parts of the reactions that are inside of the mitochondria. Okay, once you get into the mitochondria, you have your Krebs cycle, okay, and this electron transfer chain. That's how you do it, okay. Now, if you cut off all the oxygen to your body, you can still do this, okay. There's no oxygen required for this phase of this process. You're not going to last very long, right. Um, you're big, you're multicellular, you're warm-blooded, all this other kind of stuff that's expensive, right. Um, you need just about every one of these 32 plus 2 plus two ATPs that you can get. You use all 36 of these things, okay? Uh, anybody walk up any stairs today? Did you get out of breath, you know? I mean, we, we lose it when we walk upstairs, right? We're on the edge, as it is, of energy expenditure, right? We're using every bit of these 32 ATPs that we, that we make on any given day, all right? Um, uh, you need all of those, right? And if you're not providing oxygen to your body, you're cutting out this entire bottom part of this uh, reaction series down here. You're only doing this. You're only making two ATP for every molecule of glucose, which is fine. It's just not enough to keep you alive, right? If you lived very, very cheaply, okay, you could live on that alone. If you were an anaerobic bacteria, for example, um, that would be enough. That would be enough, but you're not. You keep your body unnecessarily warm, and you're big, and you're complex, and your DNA is huge, and all this other kind of stuff, right? Uh, so it's expensive. You use every one of these ATPs that you, that you make, usually. All right. So we'll go through each one of these stages in a little bit of, a, little bit of detail. I just want to give you a slightly uh, abbreviated introduction to these two. This is about where we wrapped up last time, I think. Uh, introduction to these two buckets, these two energy, uh, energy carriers, these two electron carriers. This is NAD. Uh, it has a little plus sign on it right there. There's a pos slight positive charge on this molecule. Um, and it's up here in this region of the, uh, of the molecule. Um, what we're going to do, if we want to make this big thing over here carry some electrons, okay, what we want to do is attach them somewhere onto this molecule in a covalent bond. We have a double bond right here. We could break this double bond right there, and we could bond another hydrogen to it. And we do so, okay? So we've gone from this up here on this side, to adding this other hydrogen up here, uh, making another covalent bond. When we make that other covalent bond, what bridges that covalent bond is the sharing of electrons, right? So these are those nice high-energy electrons that we grabbed off of that pyruvate molecule when we were breaking it apart, okay? So we're making a covalent bond right here. We go from this to, to that when we're carrying, it, uh, carrying that electron. So when it's NAD with a positive charge on it, it's not carrying an electron that has high energy that we can use in the form of NADH, then it is, okay? And that electron is bridging that gap between the D and the H, so to speak, okay? Uh, if you add an electron to something, you say that it is reduced, 
Okay, so I have an electron up here somewhere, don't I? Uh, let me find one. Ah, here we go. An electron. Okay, I'm going to give this electron to you. You have now been reduced. Okay, um, if that if that electron had a lot of energy into it, right? You would take that electron and you could carry it off to the staircase. Okay, and roll that electron down the hill and get a lot of energy out. Right? If I'm going to get that, that electron back, if, you're going to, if you want to donate that electron and take it or, or give it to somebody, I will take it. Now I have been reduced, okay, because now I have the electron and you have been oxidized. Okay? So I can become oxidized and now you are reduced. You can become oxidized and I am reduced. Okay? One of the best things you can use to oxidize something is oxygen, really electronegative, right? I'm electronegative. What am I doing? Yeah, you know, I'm constantly, you know, pulling that electron away from things. So ox oxygen is a good oxidizer, right? So to speak, right? Um, it's not, I mean, other things can be good oxidizers as well. Nitrogen is a pretty good oxidizer, right? Anything that, that can pull an electron away from something else is going to be a, a pretty good oxidizer. Um, anything that pushes electrons off into something else is going to be a very good reducer, okay? So like elemental sodium is an excellent reducer. It's always shoving those electrons off into other things and destabilizing them and making them explode and things like that, okay? Um, so what we want to do, we want to... Uh, take our NAD molecule and we would like to go ahead and reduce it. We would like to go ahead and put an electron onto it. Okay? And we get one of those high energy molecules and we reduce it into this. Then eventually we want to oxidize it and get that electron back off, right? And we do so, ultimately using oxygen as the ultimate oxidizer um, and bring it back over into the state. Right? So when it's carrying, again, when it's carrying the high energy electron, you have NADH. When it's not carrying it, um, it's NAD. Uh, here's the other one that you use. You don't use it as much, though, okay? Um, this one right here, FADH2, right? It has a couple of the names that you might recognize, like riboflavin, which if you look at the back of your Cheerios box, okay, a lot of things have riboflavin. I bet that has riboflavin in it, Megan, do you think? Probably. It probably does, right? I'm sure it does. Um, uh, or vitamin B2 is the same thing, okay, as this. Uh, People uh, oftentimes will talk about vitamin B shots really giving these big energy boosts and things like that. They're very good. I mean, you use them as high-energy electron carriers, so it stands to reason that that might be a relationship there between the two. Speak. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know why the whole chemical thing they went over in my class last year. There's, isn't it B12? Um, all the B vitamins are kind of doing that kind of thing, the B6s, the B12s, the B2s, so the right? The specific B2, right, is, is this in this electron carrier, right, that you use specifically for this, you know, the B6, the B12, those are doing uh, other so things, right? B is just electron carrier. Um, B is a, is a class, I don't know what a, what, a, what a B actually is, right? Um, I have to look at the other Bs and see how they compare, right? Um, B, this, this is specifically B2, right, um, and this is the only one you use. So I suspect B6 and B12 are, are, might, might be doing other, other things, right? They might be related, right? Um, B2 is that, right, right there. Uh, but we can look at this as well and see where the electrons are being carried, right? Um, they're in the middle of this uh, nitrogen-carbon arrangement right there. Here's a double bond we can break. Here's a double bond we can break, right? We can go ahead and break those bonds and attach hydrogens off onto the nitrogens. Now, what's interesting about these electrons that we're carrying here, 
they don't actually contain as much usable energy as the ones in NADH. Okay, so ultimately, I'll make. I, I guess in order to tell you what I mean by this, I can just explain what the ultimate fate of these things is going to be. When you drop an electron from NADH into that staircase, you can make three ATP from every electron that you drop off. Okay, when you do that from FADH two, you can only make two ATP out of it. Right, those electrons just don't carry um, the potential energy oomph, right, of the electrons in, in ADH. You know, you can vary the amount of energy in an electron, and these have less. Okay, so it stands to reason, then, that if these have less energy to start with, you're not going to be able to make as much ATP out of them. Now, when you have electrons of this energy level, okay, it's not that you don't drop them off and make NADH out of them. You can't. Okay, that bond to carry that electron in NADH has a very specific amount of energy associated with it. And if that electron you're trying to drop off does not have that much energy, as much as you might want to, you cannot make that NADH molecule out of it. The electron just doesn't have the energy to make up the difference. Um, so you have this kind of secondary lower energy carrier, FAD, okay, which can accept those lower energy electrons. But it, it, I guess it's an efficiency thing, right? It's not that, well, and some left over, so we go ahead and pitch the leftovers. Right? We have some energy left over that we can't make NADH out of. We can go ahead and come up with some sort of secondary thing, uh, yes, like taking the leftovers and put them in a little Tupperware container and carrying them to the electron transfer chain as opposed to the whole turkey, so to speak. Right? Um, less energy in them, but you can still get ATP out of it. You use a lot of your ATP. It's a good thing to do. All right. Big, I mean, both of these, you know, these kind of big, ridiculously, seemingly overly complex molecules. I mean, this is still part of it down here as well. We just kind of, whatever, just because we're so, away, so far away from the business end of it, right, we don't really have to pay too much attention to it. Um, big, complex molecules, right, big, big, complex things. What we really are interested in is attaching hydrogen ions up here to the top. All right. Um, okay, so we'll start with glycolysis and work our way through, talking about the ultimate fates of things. Here we have our six-carbon glu six glucose molecule, right? One, two, three, four, five, six. Um, here is where we add our first ATP, and this is where we add the second, okay? Once we add those two ATPs, the molecule will spontaneously uh, blow apart, right, into two PGALs, okay? So when we talk about that energy activation barrier and things like that, Here's the energy that we have to add in order to get that glucose molecule to go over that energy activation barrier and start to come apart. Once it does, then we can start getting a lot of the energy out. Okay, so here we have our one, two, three, four ATP that we're able to get out of glycolysis, okay, of that stage. And we also have two in ADH. Okay, so we actually are, just from breaking that apart on that first order, no oxygen used yet, just from breaking that glucose molecule apart, we actually are able to grab a couple of high-energy electrons out of that and store them in our electron carriers. Okay. Now, the interesting thing about this, this part of this reaction up here, going back and forth, or I should say going forward from PGAL to 1,3-bisphosphoglycerate, okay, uh, requires you have PGAL around, obviously. right? It also requires that you have NAD around. Okay. Um, if you want to make this reaction progress in this direction, you have to have that. You have to have the NAD. If you don't provide the NAD, it's not that you can have this happen and you just don't make any NADH out of it. If you don't have the NAD, this reaction cannot progress. Okay. 
from back in this earlier slide, where is your NAD replenished? It's all the way down here, right? When you drop those electrons off on the electron transfer chain, then you're going to be producing your hydrogen ions again, and you're going to be producing a lot of NAD, which you're then going to recycle back up here to glycolysis, okay? If you're not doing this because you don't have any oxygen around, you are eventually going to start running out of NAD, okay? Because you're not replenishing with anything. You're just making more and more and more NADH. Um, if you run out of, and that would be a good thing, right? If you don't have the NAD and this reaction doesn't progress forward, how many ATPs do you make? If you don't have NAD around, how many do you make? None, right? You make the ATP down here, okay? If you run out of this and this reaction can progress, you're just using 2-ATP and you're turning the crank, right? But the gum isn't coming out at all, okay? Um, so it, it, the whole system kind of breaks down if you run out of NAD, okay? But if you're going to be an anaerobic respirer and not use mitochondria, not use oxygen, right? You keep using this NAD, but you don't use any of the conventional uh, mitochondrial ways of replenishing that NAD, right? And if you don't do that, then you don't make any ATP and your existence will come to an abrupt and screeching halt. More abrupt than, uh, than, than, than you can imagine. All right? So we need to come up with a way to replenish the NAD if we're going to be an anaerobic respirer. Oh, dear, what's going on now? My goodness, what did I do? Stay with me here. Tell me about it. Pause for effect, All right? So let me go old school here. All right. Okay. So again, to compare aerobic and anaerobic respiration for the anaerobic pathways, right? We're not using mitochondria. We're starting glycolysis in the cytoplasm, and we're leaving all the reactions in the cytoplasm. We're not using any mitochondria at all or anything like that. Um, or if we have aerobic respiration, we can go ahead and start these reactions in the cytoplasm, right? But we're going to finish them in the mitochondria, okay? So eventually, if we want to be an aerobic respirer, we're going to do the same glycolytic things, right? We're just going to take the end products of glycolysis, the pyruvate, and we're going to give them to the mitochondria, right? If we're an anaerobic respirer, we're going to take that pyruvate and we're going to do something else with it instead, okay? Where's the energy? Right? Uh, how much have we lost? How much, or how much have we moved around? Or how much have we, have we transferred? If we just go ahead and make pyruvate out of glycolysis, we make 4 ATP. Right? Um, if we give that pyruvate to the mitochondria, then we make 32 more. Right? So there's still a lot of energy left in that pyruvate. Okay? Um, and if you're an anaerobic respirer, you're just not getting it. You could. You're just choosing not to for whatever reason. Got that. All right. So uh, to briefly summarize the beginnings of these fermentation processes, anaerobic respiration, we start with glycolysis, okay? That's always going to be where you start, and it's really never going to vary that much, all right? Um, you don't break the glucose down into carbon dioxide and water. You just break the glucose down into pyruvate, okay? And you don't go any farther than that until you start doing strange things to replenish NAD, okay? You only get the two net yield out of it, 
Okay, you get four out, but you had to spend two to make the reaction happen, so you get a net gain of two. And everything that happens after that, if you are an anaerobic respirer, so I'm just talking about the anaerobic respiration, right? The steps that follow that making you that pyruvate only serve to regenerate NAD. Because if you don't regenerate the NAD, that reaction is not going to progress and you're not going to make any ATP at all. Okay? So we can briefly look at the variety of life on Earth and we can see a couple of major ways that organisms replenish NAD, okay, that are, aerob that are anaerobic respirers. Okay? One of the ways to do it is ethanol production, fermentation of alcohol. I saw that look. Right? It was the eek, don't change the slide yet. Right? Um, uh, while you're finishing writing these things that are on the slide, I can tell you a brief story, and, and I, think, I think Robert can probably commiserate with this. Uh, both Robert and I probably have a bit of lactic acid buildup on our muscles right now. Right? Robert ran the uh, Marine Corps Marathon yesterday, um, which puts my 5K that I ran on Saturday to shame. Right? And I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that. Um, but I don't know, uh, Robert's far more fit than I am, right? Uh, and I was suffering pretty badly yesterday. Um, it was out at Wolf Trap, and Wolf Trap is very, very hilly. Um, and it was a lot of pain. And uh, when a race, the finish line and the starting line are, are, on, are in the same place, right? And the beginning was great because it was downhill, right? What does that mean for the end? It's uphill, right? You got to go back up to where you started. And that was some hilly stuff out there, okay? Um, and I wanted to be under 30 minutes, so I was really cranking it at the end. And there was this other lady that I knew who was running with me. Um, and we started uh, about the same time, and she was caught up with me. So I, there's no way, right? I couldn't stand for that. So I had to burn her at the end, right? And so, so I pretty much sprinted up this hill. And I know for a fact, based on how I felt when I got to the finish line, that I left absolutely nothing on the road, right? Um, that lunge across the finish line was, in fact, the last step that I was going to take for several minutes, Okay, my wife had nine and one already dialed on the phone, waiting to see if she should hit the next one to get the, you know, it's kind of dove across the finish line into the waiting ambulance, so to speak. Um, anyway, it was brutal. It was brutal. Um, and I'm suffering, uh, paying the price for it today, okay, with all this lactic acid buildup in my body. Okay, I know for a fact from how I was breathing while I was walking, well, walking, running up that hill, okay, um, that I, there was nothing I could do to get my heart to beat any faster. It was maxed out. Okay, and I know also for a fact there is no way that I could increase the rate of bringing oxygen into my body. It was maxed out. I was breathing as hard as I possibly could, and if my heart beat any harder, I'd probably be dead. Okay, so I was I was I was at the I was at the I was at the max. All right, um, and I know for a fact that that was true. Hence the you know leaning and heaving and <clears throat> sounds that I was making when I was done. All right. Um, I was not. I was working at a rate that was burning ATP faster than my mitochondria could make them. Okay, the amount of anaerobic respiration that I was undergoing in glycolysis was substantially higher than the amount of aerobic respiration that I could do. Okay, um, uh, no, none of these oxygen rate limiting steps, right? With aerobic, uh, uh, with, with anaerobic respiration, it just kind of goes as much as you need it. And if you end up not being able to provide oxygen at a high enough rate, then you'll just end up doing more glycolysis than any other part of the aerobic process. Okay, and I ended up with an enormous amount of pyruvate um, in my muscles, and I ended up with an enormous amount, okay, of NADH in my muscles, at a, building up at a rate faster than my mitochondria could, could use them. Okay, so I didn't want glycolysis to stop, so I started to have to take that pyruvate and that NADH and break them down into something else, okay? Um, what some of my bacterial relatives will do, um, they'll take that pyruvate, in that NADH, okay, and they'll make ethanol out of it, 
all right? Um, you, if you're making wine, if you're making beer or something like that, um, it's all the same all the same process, okay? If you're making bread, it's part of the same thing. It's anaerobic respiration um, producing ethanol and carbon dioxide, okay? If you're making wine, you want the ethanol and not the carbon dioxide. If you're making beer, you want both, right? Who likes flat beer? Who's over 21 in this class? Do you like flat beer? No, you, nobody likes flat beer, right? Um, or if you're making bread, you're not so interested in the ethanol. You want the CO2 for the, for the dough to rise, you know? Um, no matter which way you do it, you get all of it, right? You get both the ethanol and the CO2 all the time. So in this case, uh, I want the bread to rise and all that is fine, right? But I'm producing a substantial amount of ethanol in the process. Most of it, you know, burns off in the 450 degree oven when we cook it. But in order to do this, right, here we have our glycolysis steps up here. Here's our glucose. Um, here's our two uh, ATP that we're ultimately going to make, right? So we get our ATP out of it, fine, right? Here's our pyruvate that we make. Fine, right? All this stuff you already know. Here's our two NADH that we make. Fine, right? All this stuff you already kind of know, right? Um, you're going to run, this is the NAD problem that I was talking about before, though. You run the risk of running out of it. You know, if you don't have this NAD to feed through this process at the same time, you're not going to make any of this, and you're also not going to make any of this. So what you do, you say, well, I got a bunch of NADH, all right? I got a bunch of pyruvate laying around. I'll take the pyruvate. I'll kick a carbon dioxide molecule off of it and make acetaldehyde, which has a lot of energy in it, into it, like first cousin of acetylene and things like that. It obviously is very flammable stuff, right? A lot of energy in this. You've lost a CO2, so now you have a two-carbon molecule. Combine the NADH with acetylene, and you make ethanol and NAD. So you can keep this process going, but you're going to get a lot of carbon dioxide produced and a lot of ethanol. So when I'm out there uh, on that last leg of that 5K running uphill, I can thankfully not undergo this process, or else I will start to inflate and get drunk, right, at the same time. Not a preferred option when trying to run for your life, right? We prefer this other option. I do not look this elegant when I'm running this race, by the way. We do this. It's very, very similar, okay? Um, we have a slightly different process that we go through, but it's to the same end. It's all about replenishing NAD, okay? Um, instead of converting the pyruvate into carbon dioxide and acetaldehyde, we just combine the pyruvate directly with the NADH, okay? And make lactate, lactic acid, right? And NAD. So I did this, okay, on Saturday morning, okay? And I made a lot of lactate to keep this process going. All right, so those are pretty much the options, right? If you're going to do anaerobic respiration, you're either going to be an, a lactic acid producer or you're going to be uh, an ethanol producer. It's going to be lactic acid fermentation or it's going to be ethanol fermentation, both of which are widespread on Earth, okay? If you're bringing in oxygen at a rate that is able to keep up with the rate that you're producing pyruvate, you're not going to do this. Okay, you're not going to go down this pathway. You're going to take these pyruvate and you're going to go ahead and you're going to give them to the mitochondria instead and say, here, I could make lactate or ethanol out of this. I'm not going to. Here, mitochondria, you take these and you work on them for a while. All right. And mitochondria says, cool, I can do that. Um, do you have any oxygen? And you say, okay, here you go. I have oxygen. And then it says, okay, we're good. All right. 
So um, the first thing we have to do, though, is get that pyruvate into the mitochondria, okay, which is not a trivial problem. All of this glycolysis and these anaerobic pathways all happened out here in the cytoplasm. We have a mitochondrial membrane that things need to get across, all right? So we have our pyruvate uh, out here. We bring the pyruvate into the mitochondria um, via a transport process. Okay, the first thing that we do when the pyruvate comes in, we kick off a molecule of carbon dioxide. So we have two of these. Always keep this in mind, right? From one molecule of glucose, we make two pyruvate. So we get to take this thing into the mitochondria, but we get to do it twice, right? Right? Because we have two of them that we are able to make from that breaking that glucose molecule apart. Right? So one glucose broke apart into two of these. So when we go through these presses right here, we're actually doing it twice for every molecule of glucose that we make, or that we eat. So we bring the pyruvate in. First thing that we do, we kick off the carbon dioxide. So lovely. Where does that carbon dioxide go? It's one of the six per molecule that you breathe out. Well, it's two of the six per glucose molecule that you breathe out. All right, once you do that, okay, once you get that pyruvate to the inside, right, when you break off that carbon dioxide molecule, you are actually able to make another NADH out of it, okay? So now we're able to make two more NADH by doing this, because we get to do this twice, okay? So we have two NADH from glycolysis. Now we have two more NADH just from the second stage reactions of getting this pyruvate into the mitochondria to begin with. Okay, what we're going to be left with is uh, acetyl coenzyme A, so our acetylene that we started with before, or our variant of that. And we're going to attach a coenzyme to it, okay, um, which is called coenzyme A, to end up with this thing called acetyl coenzyme A. Okay, now when we give the mitochondria this, or we give the Krebs cycle, right, which is in the mitochondria, something to work with, this is what ultimately it works with, right? The acetyl coenzyme A is what goes into the Krebs cycle, okay? So when we talk about the Krebs cycle, usually we kind of lump this together into it. So we have gluco the glycolysis stage, right? Then we have these kind of prep reactions that we kind of tie into the Krebs cycle, usually, okay? The second stage reactions are these prep reactions geared towards getting the pyruvate into the mitochondria and then producing acetyl coenzyme A from it, and then the acetyl coenzyme A being the first, first part of that, uh, of that Krebs cycle process. All right, so we can do some accounting. Anybody into, let me hit a light over here. Anybody into business, economics, anything, accounting? What are you guys going to do for a living? Your parents would like to know the same thing, right? All right. I can do this. Would you prefer the overhead? This is okay. That's why there's three. Okay, so for glycolysis, right? What we ended up with two ATP, right? Two and ADH. Right? <laughs> How many CO2 came out? Uh, two. <clears throat> uh, uh, four. 
Eight? Anybody? Eight? No CO2 comes out in glycolysis, right? Right? That's what happens first. What happens second, right? These pre preparation reactions, right? Once we decide to go down that uh, aerobic pathway. Um, with the prep reactions, we're going to make how many ATP? See any ATP here? Two. In the prep reactions? Two. None. All right. How many NADH are you going to make? Two of those. Okay. How many CO2 come out? Two. Like I said, this is an accounting exercise. Ultimately, the amount of CO2 that comes out is going to be six when you're done with all of it, right? Six carbon in, six carbon out, right? Ultimately, the amount of ATP that's going to come out at the very end of this whole aerobic process is going to be 36. So far, we're up to two, right? So we got a long way to go. What does that tell you about the amount of energy in this thing? There's a lot. Yeah, there's 34 ATP worth of juice in this thing. Well, 18, right? A lot of it's right here right now, right? Okay. Which one is it? I don't remember that. Okay. So this is where we are so far. Next, the Krebs cycle. This is where we're going to take that acetyl coenzyme A and completely break it down into uh, into nothingness so far. We're going to make the we're going to produce the rest of our CO2. Okay, here in the Krebs cycle, um, about eight or ten intermediate molecules, all you know, part of this cascading enzymatic reactions. Anytime that you see an arrow uh, of a molecule going from one to another, chances are that's an enzyme-mediated reaction happening. Right, we start with acetyl coenzyme A, we combine it with oxyl acetate and make citrate, which is why it's sometimes called the citric acid cycle. Then we modify that into isocitrate, then we uh, modify that into alpha ketoglutarate, then we modify that into acetyl coenzyme A, right? And we kind of go around this circle, right? Ultimately ending up with oxaloacetate again, which we can combine with more acetyl coenzyme A and have the process uh, keep going around in the circle. Now, the interesting things on here, right, are these. Well, the first thing I have to say is uh, per molecule of glucose, keep in mind, you do this twice, right? You make ultimately two acetyl coenzyme A for each glycolysis, so you get to go around the electron, you get to go around the Krebs cycle twice for every molecule of glucose. So here you produce a carbon dioxide, right? Here you produce a carbon dioxide, and you do that <coughs> twice. So we already have two, three, four, five, six. We're done with carbon, okay? The molecule of glucose is completely deconstructed. Here we make an NADH. Here we make an NADH. Here we make an NADH, okay? And here we make an FADH2. Nate. And here, we actually make another ATP. Each of them, say it again, twice. twice. All right? So if we look at where this is going to be, this one? It is. On our little diagram here, 
making sure the screen isn't. The Krebs cycle, we make how many ATP? How many times? Twice, right? Two ATP. How many NADH? Six. Three of them. Twice. I'm, I'm just going to go, mm, all right, and just say twice, right? So we get six NADH. Um, how many CO2? Four. We're not done yet. We have something else interesting going on here, right? We finally have FADH2 business. None there. None there. And we make two of them in the Krebs cycle. And then that's it, right? Our molecule is completely gone. If we're going to get any molecule out of glucose, any energy out of glucose at all, it's, it's out. Okay, um, so what are we left with? Where's all of our energy? Um, we got four ATPs worth. Cool. We have six, seven, eight, we have 10 and ADHs worth. And we have two FADH2s worth. Okay, that's where the energy now is. So we need to take that, 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 and that. Roll it down that enzymatic staircase in that controlled reaction and make it make a lot of ATP for us. Okay? That's our objective. That is where the energy now is. Well, sort of, right? I'm going to irritate you with something just because I know you like a good challenge. Yeah, I know. You can thank me later. And for this, I actually am going to use the overhead just because uh, I'm kind of quickly running out of chalk space. You're going to love this. You thought enzymes were a headache. Oh, yeah. It even looks academic, doesn't it? Cytoplasm over here, mitochondria over here. Good? Yep. Excellent. Uh, glycolysis is happening out here, right? Yeah? Yep. Krebs and electron transfer chain are happening in here, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we want the NADH to go down our little... Uh, staircase, right? We want those electrons to go down that staircase and make a lot of ATP, right? Yes. We do? Okay. So with glycolysis, we actually do make some NADH, don't we? Glycolysis to NADH. So if the NADH is over here from glycolysis, we can either anaerobically respire that, okay? Downside being that you make a lot of lactic acid, and it's not necessarily ideal for how you're going to feel tomorrow. Or, ideally, we can take this and bring it into the electron transfer chain, right? Um, we just did all of this, okay, inside of the mitochondria, right? Okay, so where is the concentration of NADH the highest on this diagram? Is it out here, or is it higher out here? You're absolutely right, right? There's a lot of NADH in here. That's what your mitochondria is doing in that Krebs cycle. It's making a lot of NADH. We want to get this NADH from, uh, from the cytoplasm into the mitochondria. Is there a problem? 
there's obviously a problem. Well, the double membrane doesn't make it easy, right? Is there another physical problem? How much NADH is out here? How much NADH is in here? Yeah, we got a concentration gradient, don't we? Uh-oh. So if we want to take this thing and cram it in there, what do we have to do? We got we to lose some energy, right? We got to move some energy around, right? We can't just take this thing and shove it in there for free, right? We're building a concentration gradient even higher than it was. We're trying to push this NADH uphill, okay? Um, what would be a stupid way to do it is to take ATP and do that, right? Uh, you're making ATP so you can bring ADH in, so you can make more ATP. So you can make, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, that sort of, it ends up being molecules moving around pointlessly is, is what it ends up in, and, and you don't really end up making any progress, right? So that's not necessarily the ideal thing to do. Active transport is going to be used, but it's not going to be done using ATP, right? Instead of this, what you're going to do is this. You have the NAD out here, NADH out here. You're going to have a co-transporter on that mitochondrial membrane right there. Um, you're going to take, I can zoom this a little bit since I seem to be drawing so small. Okay. You can take that NADH, skirt it around the outside of that enzyme like that. Dump off the electron. Okay replenishing your stock of NAD and producing a hydrogen ion. The electron is now right here. What you're then going to do is make another electron carrier on the inside pick it up. Which is it going to be? NAD or FAD? FAD. Why is it going to be FAD? Because uh, you, you lost energy in the process, right? None of these reactions happen for free, right? So some of that energy is lost as heat. So what you end up doing is that. You sort of uh, arrange a swap, right? Um, it's a dumb idea to use ATP, but you already have a high energy molecule anyway. You can pass that electron off onto that carrier, right? Destroying your NADH, right, and making NAD out of it. And at the same time, pulling that electron to the inside not having as much energy as you started with, not being able to reconstitute the NAD on the inside, right? But you are actually able to have enough energy left in the electron to make a molecule of FADH2 out of it internally. So what we're going to say is, could you hit that front light for me right there? This NADH right here, okay, we are going to treat it like an FADH2. We're going to convert it into this. So ultimately, what we're going to end up with at the electron transfer chain is going to be eight molecules of NADH and four molecules of FADH2. We're taking these two NADH from glycolysis and we're making FADH2 out of it as we move it into the mitochondria. So that takes us from 10 and 2. Okay, to eight and four when it comes to what we're actually sending down that, uh, that staircase in the electron transfer chain. What do you think? Details, right? Uh, details, but good ones. Oh man, what did I do? Oh, okay.
having technological issues today. Okay. So this last stage right here, okay, the electron tra transfer phosphorylation or the electron transfer chain. Okay, that's where we're going to get our big payoff, as you recall. So, occurs in the mitochondria, as you know. Um, these coenzymes, right, the NADH and the FADH2 are delivering the high energy electrons to this electron transfer chain, okay, to the staircase where you can roll these electrons down the hill. Um, what that is actually going to do, right, when you roll those electrons down that hill, Okay, down that staircase, and we say we want to capture enough of that work, that, as much of that energy as you can, um, you're actually using the mitochondria to make a voltage. Okay, that's what you're doing with that electron energy. You're creating a charge differential across the phospholipid bilayer membrane, which is a good thing to do with the phospholipid because it's nonpolar. Okay, you can make very effective charges, charge differentials, voltages, ion gradients, right, across phospholipid bilayers because those ions don't diffuse through. So the good separators of charge. All right. Um, so you're going to use those electrons to make a voltage, and then you're going to release that voltage um, in order to spin a little crank, which is going to make a lot of ATP. So the first thing you need to do is use those electrons to turn your mitochondria into a battery. Okay. Once you charge your battery, then you can make it do things for you, like batteries do. All right? Sound good? So there's a two steps here, right? It's not just I use those electrons and I make ATP. You take the electrons, you generate a voltage out of them, right? Or using the energy, you generate a voltage. And then once you generate the voltage, you, you use the voltage to make the ATP. So there's two steps to it. You know what a voltage is? I mean, we play with electricity all the time, don't we? Anytime you get a charge imbalance across the membrane, or a separated charge imbalance. A lot of positives on one side, and a lot of negatively charged things on the other time. You can measure the amount of differential in charge there in, in terms of voltage, right? So that's what we're going to do. And this is where the mitochondria's double membrane comes in handy, because we're going to use one of those extra membranes uh, to separate our charges, which is going to be good. Okay. Okay, this process of making a voltage and then releases, releasing it is referred to as chemiosmosis. We're not osmoting water in the strict sense as we were talking about before. We're using osmosis of other things, right? We're letting the charges of hydrogen ions equilibrate, right? So we're making a voltage. It's not an electron voltage. It's a proton voltage, right? Um, phospholipid bilayers do a very good job of separating uh, nuclei. They don't do a good job of separating electrons. Um, they don't cope well with particle wave duality, so to speak. Um, so here we have the inner compartment of the mitochondria, okay? And here we have that outer compartment. The outer compartment is that little space between the, uh, the first and the second membrane on the mitochondria. So here's outside, okay, of the mitochondria, the cytoplasm. Here we have the double membrane right here. This is the outer compartment right here. And then on the inside, we have the inner compartment. So what we're going to do, we're going to sequester a lot of our hydrogen ions in that outer compartment, Okay, and get a buildup of charge in the outer compartment. Then we're going to let those hydrogen ions diffuse through um, a passive transporter, okay, which is called ATP synthase, which that flow of those hydrogen ions as they are diffusing across that membrane are going to spin the thing around in a circle, right? And it's going to take in a phosphate group and it's going to smack it onto an ADP and make ATP out of it. 
So it's almost kinetic energy that we're making, right? That is literally shoving that ADP and that phosphate together again to make ATP. It's called chemiosmosis. So once you build that voltage, you're just letting the hydrogen ions diffuse, okay? And they're diffusing through a very specific and allowed hole, right? Which is turning a crank to make ATP. Kind of neat. So um, here we have our series of electrons that were, or our, our series of, of enzymes that we're referring to as the electron transfer chain, right? It's a series of, of, uh, of enzymes all just kind of stacked up together in a row. We then pass it off to the next enzyme, okay, which is going to, uh, over here, take even more energy out of it, grab a hydrogen ion and shove it to the outside. We're going to pass that electron off to the next enzyme, which is going to take even more energy out of it, grab another hydrogen ion, and pass it off to the outside. Right? So we end up, what we end up with then is an electron with all the energy pulled out of it. That energy has been used to grab, in the case of NADH, three hydrogen ions that we're going to shove across to that outer compartment. Okay? How do we keep that enzyme moving? Or how do we keep that electron moving? Each enzyme, the active site, is more electronegative than the one before it. Okay, so I need U and U and U, right? Are you willing to sign a release? Sure. Know that you're in witness protection program? I need you in the front of the room. <laughs> Robert will talk. All right, uh, lined up just as you are. Excellent. You, Megan, are this one, okay? Uh, you are this one on the end, right? Is there a gradient here amongst these three individuals? Yeah. Yeah, in terms of electronegativity, who do you think can strip this thing away from me the easiest? How about the worst? Well, I shouldn't say the worst. I should, uh, there's no good way to phrase that. <laughs> All right, um, so I'm Mr. Uh, Mr. NADH. I got my electron out here, woohoo, right? Um, and hey, here's an electron transfer chain. You can go ahead and take that. A lot of energy in it, so you gotta hold it up there. All right, so you're gonna take a little bit of energy out of that. Take some energy out of it. Uh, okay, perfect, okay. You took that energy out, and now uh, you're gonna use that energy you took, because now you have the energy that you took out of it. You're gonna grab a hydrogen ion, and you're gonna shove it across the membrane. Okay? So do that, embarrassingly, in front of everyone. Grab the hydrogen ion, shove it across the membrane. Perfect. Okay? Now, in order for you to take that, you have to be more electronegative than she is. Right? If you're more electronegative than, or if, if you're less electronegative than she is, you can't take it. Right? So you need to pass this off to him. Okay? And he can do so because he's more electronegative. He's going to take a little bit of energy out of it. And he's going to grab a hydrogen ion. And he's going to shove it behind him. Now, he's the most electronegative of all, so he's going to take it, pull a lot more energy out of it, grab the thing, shove it behind. Now, who's the biggest? Uh, I'll be oxygen, right? <laughs> so we need something. If we, if, if, in, before you can give him another electron, right, he's got to get rid of that. Before you can get him another electron, he's going to pass it off to him. All right? So in order for you to keep this process going, you need to get rid of that thing. So you need something really electronegative out there in order to grab that, which is oxygen. oxygen. So I'm going to go ahead and pull it off of there. Now you can take it from him. Now he can take it from you. Keep the chain going. All right? Thank you. You'll sign releases soon. 
All right, so that's the trick, right? There's an electronegativity gradient with that as well. Thank you very much. A hand for our electron transfer chain. Good job. Wow, I didn't get applause like that. Um, uh, excellent, excellent, excellent. So um, when I first started teaching here at Nova, I was teaching out at the Reston Center, okay? Um, and I was, I was, it was great because I could metro and I could go to West Falls Church, right? West Falls Church has one of the, short of Roslyn, one of the longest escalators in Northern Virginia in the metro station, okay? And when they were, when they were, when I, when I was first teaching out there, they were replacing it, so everybody had to walk down the escalator, okay? Um, it was a long thing. You walk down, you walk, and you walk, and you walk going down the stairs. Um, what if the guy at the very, very bottom stopped? Okay, and he didn't take that last step off. The guy behind him can't step down. The guy behind him can't step down. The whole escalator is going to back up. So you need a really big, beefy metro guy to stand at the bottom of that escalator and physically removing that less person from the metro escalator. Okay, the electron transfer chain works the exact same way. Okay, that last electron at the bottom of that chain needs to be physically removed or the whole process stops. Right? If you have no oxygen to provide, the electron transfer chain backs up. You're not making any voltage. You're not making any ATP and you have four minutes to fix it, right? That's what you do with oxygen. You pull that very end low energy electron off of the electron transfer chain. That is the only thing that you do with oxygen. So all of this that you spend your entire life doing, right? It's to keep that electron transfer chain moving. It's to pull that last electron off of that last enzyme. Okay, that's the only thing you're doing with it. Important though, I would argue. Now, FAD does the same thing, right? FAD can go up here and it can drop off uh, electrons as well. It cannot drop them off to you, okay? It doesn't have enough energy in that electron to actually pass that electron off. It has to go straight to the middle. It has to go straight to you, right? So when we're dropping off the electron off of FADH2, we skip Megan entirely, right? Uh, she just can't, she just can't grab that electron, right? So we go straight to the middle, which is fine. We still get some uh, hydrogen ions out of it, but only two, only two. We don't get all three hydrogen ions across the membrane, only two of them, okay? And that's gonna be important in our math. So what we're gonna end up with then is a lot of hydrogen ions out here, which is gonna make this region of the mitochondria very acidic, right? So pH is going to be dropping out here precipitously. I just kind of tied this whole thing to acidity and things like that. Score, right? Um, once I build up enough of a concentration of hydrogen ions out here, this side is going to be very positive, like you said, right? This inside is going to be relatively negative, okay, compared to it, okay? Um, if we provide a way for hydrogen ions to go through this membrane, they will do so for chemiosmosis reasons, right? We give it a little hole to pass through. Only hydrogen ions can fit through this little thing. Only protons can go. Protons will pass through the ATP synthase pump. It'll spin around in a circle. Um, the kinetic energy of that will attach the phosphate to the ADP, and you'll make a molecule of ATP out of it. Okay? For every one proton that works its way through, you're able to make one molecule of ATP. What do you think? Care to do the math? Absolutely, yeah, you're going to end up with 32. 8 times 3 is not 32. 8 times 3 is 24. Plus 2 times 4, 8. So we're up to 32. 
34, 36. We get our 36 ATP. CO2 is completely gone, released, right, blown out, okay? We've used oxygen. We've made water, okay? We take our low-energy electron. Uh, we combine it with oxygen. There's a couple of hydrogen laying around. You can't just grab electrons, right? You need to make a bond out of it. Uh, there's a nice low-energy bond right here. Low energy being that there's not a lot of free energy in there, right? Um, make our molecule of water. And what do we do with the water? A couple of things. You can use it, right, for making hydrolysis reactions somewhere else. Or you can breathe it out, right? So when it's really cold outside, you can breathe on a window. <laughs> what comes out? Carbon dioxide and water, right? That's not just you know, spit you're breathing out, right? That is a byproduct of aerobic <coughs> respiration, water. So when you burn a log, you get carbon dioxide and water. water vapor, right? When you combust glucose in your body, you get carbon dioxide and water. I mean, it's a bonfire, right? It's the exact same chemistry as a bonfire, as a barbecue, right? Going on inside of you in a very controlled way as opposed to an uncontrolled way, which is good for cooking steak, Right, but bad for keeping you alive. Right, in this case, instead of just converting all of it into 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 heat energy and making uh, a lot of heat out of it to cook something, right, instead of that, we are taking what would be the same chemical amount of heat coming out of it, but we're trying to capture as much of it as we can in ATP. So, how much is it? We skip ahead to a money shot right here. Um, if you look at one molecule of glucose, okay, or one mole of glucose, 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd molecules of glucose, see how much energy is actually in that molecule in total. 686 kilocalories. Okay? If you look at one okay, mole of glucose, or sorry, one mole of ATP, one mole of ATP will have 7.5 kilocalories. Okay? So you get 36 of these for every one of these. 7.5 times 36 is seven, 270 kilocalories. How is that compared to this? After you go through all that process, right? Yeah, it's about a third, a little more than a third. After you go through this process of converting from glucose into ATP, you only capture about 40% of the total amount of energy in there as ATP. So earlier when I say, you know, you lose a lot thermodynamically, no reaction, 100% efficient, this is not your bank, right, uh, taking a percentage of your, of your money when you give it a loan or when you get a loan. This is a loan shark, right? The universe is taking 61% of the energy of glucose, giving you 39 to work with, right? So you don't even, it's not even halfway efficient. Um, and by the way, just so you want to compare, this is still more efficient than your car, okay, when you burn gasoline. So, yeah, at the most, it's in the, it's in the mid-teens, right? It's, far, it's still far more efficient than your car. Wait till we get to photosynthesis. You want to talk about inefficiency. We're barely alive on this earth, all right? So uh, we'll finish up with a couple of finishing comments about this on Wednesday, um, and then we'll start talking about photosynthesis, okay? And what you'll see when we do photosynthesis, when you go through the phases of glycolysis to take that glucose molecule apart in photosynthesis, we're just going to use the same reactions. We're just going to push them in the opposite direction. Have a good Tuesday.